I'm going to invite you guys to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 7. And it's a good day to be alive, isn't it? Are you glad to be alive? Yeah, come on. We're, we're alive. We got breath in our lungs. The blood is flowing. <laughs> we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to go through this a little bit differently. You ever watched a movie? In the first few minutes, it's like this crazy scene, all this is being happening, and then there's a flashback. It's like two months earlier or, you know, four years prior. This is kind of the way this is going to flow this afternoon. And we're going, Matthew has been going about his ministry. A lot's been happening. He's been talking about the kingdom of heaven is near. And he's talking about what this kingdom looks like and how people are to interact with God's kingdom and how to interact with one another. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, after he talks about bearing fruit and you'll be able to know the fruit by the, the type of person, like a tree producing good fruit. He goes on to say in verse 24 in chapter 7, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundations were on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house. And it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. What I appreciate about this interaction is something that my dad even taught when he was a teacher um, back in the day, the lay of the land, you could talk about God in the schools. At lunch hour, he would even pray with his students. What was cool is Nathan remembers that. He would have been in his class. And you know, Nathan, I remember that too because I was in his class one year. He may have regretted it. Who knows? But... I remember that, and I remember everyone in the room, the kids would raise their hand and say, I'd like to pray today. But one of these days, I know the family wouldn't mind me saying this, they actually go to the United Church, and uh, the daughter one day came home just petrified. Mom, Dad, is our house built on sand? Um, well, our, our soil's kind of, I think they said like a sandy combination. It's like, oh no, our house is going to collapse. My dad had taught about this little part of scripture with the kids and they prayed about this. And I couldn't help but think about that as I was reading through this portion of scripture, but it's serious. You could joke about it, but it's serious. Jesus is saying, what kind of house do you want to build? What foundation is your house built upon? So keep that in mind as we now flash back, just like in the movie, we're flashing back to where it all began. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has begun his ministry. He's come out of a place called the Decapolis, which is a Hellenistic region, about 10 major cities in this region, and he's gone around healing the sick. 
It says prior to chapter 5, and I don't have these verses, boys, don't worry about it. It says, when the news spread about him, they had brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And then we arrive to where Jesus gives this very famous discourse, blocks of teaching, beginning with, as we know, the Beatitudes. And he goes through and starts talking about this kingdom, the foundation of what this kingdom looks like. And so he starts off and goes saying that the poor and the spirit, they're blessed for theirs is the kingdom. And he continues on and, and says many other wonderful things. Blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And so on. But in verse 11, he says, you're blessed when they insult you and they persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And you might think, well, this blessing is something not yet. This is a blessing that's going to come when I breathe my last breath and go to meet my maker. But that's not what Jesus is getting at here. Yes, everything sad in this world will be made untrue in heaven. We know that. But he's also talking the kingdom of heaven is near because Christ is the fulfillment of God's plan. He is the fullness of God. Heaven has come and moved into the neighborhood. I'm not a fan of the Message Bible. However, near the end of John chapter 1, it says that he moved into the neighborhood. He who was the Word, who was Christ, moved into the neighborhood. And then in verse 13 of chapter 5, he says, You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? Maybe like me, you start thinking about buttery popcorn or something. I don't know. But he says, It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And our segue for today is, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So what type, of, what type of house are you building? What type of home do you desire to build? What kind of light is shining forth? What kind of lampstands do you have? These are some of the questions that were going through my mind in preparing this message. And you know, in many of our homes, and probably like many of you, you have something over your entryway that says, our house is a house of love. Maybe your house says, you know, friends welcome. Or maybe it's, this is a leaf land only. I don't know. That wouldn't be in my house. I can guarantee you that. Okay? But you have these different signs, these different labels that we have that, at those entryways. In many ways, those signs are like markers. They're signals for people who are entering and leaving your home. 
And this is something that's going through my mind and, and reading this part of Scripture where Jesus is saying, you know, build your house on the right foundation. And as you build that house, it's situated in such a way that it's also going to give light to everyone in the house, but everyone who is looking upon it. People are going to see the light that's shining from it. What kind of light? What's coming out from that house? And for all of us Christians, you know, we're here today. If I said by a show of hands, how many of you are, are believers? You'd say, yeah. I would hope so. <laughs> we profess faith in Christ because the Holy Spirit has led us to faith in Jesus. We've come to this understanding that God's will for us is to enjoy the good life. That is following the teachings of Christ. And so he says, anyone who loves me will obey my commands. If anyone wants to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. And one of those commands is kind of the ultimate, this, this, this thing we embark upon when we come to faith in Christ, the ultimate guiding framework signal at the doorpost, if you will, is Matthew 28, 18. Go all into the world and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have taught you. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so keeping that in mind as we begin today's message is this. The title is this, A Dawn of a New Day. It's a dawn of a new day. How many of you wake up at the crack of dawn? I've tried it a few times, you know, just to check out the sights. Hey, wow, look at that sunrise. Okay, <laughs> that's enough for me. I remember the days working on the farm and, you know, getting up and going to pick peppers. Um, John and I are both colorblind, so it was kind of a difficult task. Um, and so it wasn't too productive. Maybe John was a little better than I, but, you know, I remember getting up and mom would come in, knock on my door, okay, it's time to get up. I'm like, already? It's dark outside. Remember getting in the car, and it's nice when, you know, parents will drive you to work, which is wonderful. Other kids would have to ride their bicycle, and we lived it out on the 8th concession, and um, where this farm was, I would think it was more towards last let, so it'd be a little bit of a journey. And I remember as we're driving down the road, you'd see the sun coming up, and say, wow. And then you begin to think, this is going to be a, a long day. But it was beautiful, and I remember that, that every day, no matter what happened the day prior, no matter how unproductive I may have been, today was a new day. Today was a day I could go there and show my bosses I am not worthless. I can do this. I can do this. And so Jesus, in many respects, he's, he's issuing a new chapter in the nation of Israel. It's a new day. A new day is dawning. There's new opportunity to realize the fullness of God in their life. It's a new day. It's a new day. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's a new day. A new day is dawning. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 and I thought this was really cool as I put a title on this. And normally, you know, good preachers or teachers will develop a title from a passage. But that's what was sticking out to me. But then I was reading through in chapter 4. As the writer here of Matthew is showing us, chronicling for us, a prophecy fulfilled about Christ. And I thought, Holy Spirit, this is fantastic. So in chapter 4, verse 12, it says, When he had heard that John had been arrested, remember John the Baptist and Jesus were very close, he withdrew into Galilee. 
He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. It's kind of a tongue twister. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of doubt or death, a light has dawned. For those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then the writer says in verse 17, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's a new day. It's a new day. And as I was reading these passages like you, I couldn't help but thinking, no matter what happened yesterday, today is a new opportunity a new opportunity to experience the grace of God, the new opportunity to walk in the strength of his might, to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We all have those promptings, don't we? It's the dawn of a new day. And so to help illustrate what this looks like, let's go to Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, remembering that Jesus is inviting us to build our house on a solid foundation, that that foundation as we're situated, we're lights on a city, on a hill, and that lights to go out, go forth. It's the dawn of a new day. And so Mark chapter 2 is this great interaction with a man called Levi. And so Mark chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners." This passage of scripture just shed it to me. The dawn of the new day is for everyone, especially those who are worse for wear, especially those who do not yet know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So here's a little bit of a background story. So here we see it's, it's calling a man by the name of Levi. Levi, otherwise known as Matthew, the writer of the gospel account of Matthew. He was a tax collector. He was a studied man. He was an educated man. So he, you know, he was a well-to-do person as well. And at this point in time, he's working a job. We don't know for whatever reason why he's working in a toll booth, but he's working a toll booth. And at this point, King Herod the Great has died. Some time has gone on. In fact, back in Mark chapter, or sorry, Matthew chapter 3, while Jesus was young, we've come to find that Herod has died. And at that time, his kingdom is subdivided um, with his surviving three children. 
And out of these three children, one of them is given the region of Galilee. And so Galilee is, you know, fairly large of, in, in a geographical uh, reach. Right at the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, we have Capernaum. And here earlier we see Jesus is in Capernaum. He's working miracles. He's working wonders. And right on the edge between Capernaum and the edge of Galilee is the River Jordan. And that's where you have a borderline. Where his other brother is then the regent, the, the ruler of that area. And so naturally, there would be a toll booth there. And so here we see that Levi or Matthew is working this toll booth. And you could imagine he's very unpopular. Because prior, people could come and go as they pleased. But now there's this silly toll booth. It's like imagining people in Ontario when the 407 was being built and they're thinking, finally, relief for the commute. And the government then says, no, sorry, we, we've, uh, it's private and it's going to be a toll booth. Everyone's like, "Ah, right? In a similar fashion, this toll booth is there and Levi's working this job. And you can imagine, you know, he's being heckled. You know, oh, people are grumbling as they're putting in their, you know, their dollars. And so he's working there one day, and we don't know his background, whether he supports or, you know, thinks highly of these rulers of the Heridian family. We don't know what he thinks. But all we know is Jesus shows up on the scene, and we can imagine what he's been going through. He's been an outcast in many ways because he's a tax collector, working with the government officials, but he's working this toll booth. So it's kind of a double whammy. Unfair for Levi, but that's the way it's going down. And while he's there, Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now, what do you think was happening there? What, what, what transpired leading up to that moment? You know, the, the gospel writers only show us so much. What I appreciate about Mark was not part of Matthew's writing style. Matthew, uh, Mark actually gives a lot of details into the narrative, and yet here he focused on a few pieces. Jesus just called him, follow me, and he followed him. He didn't give any other colorful commentary, surprisingly. He didn't say, well, up to this point, you know, Levi was highly successful as a tax collector, but he wanted something different. He aspired for something more. That's not in here. But we can assume from this position that Levi, this wasn't what Levi dreamed of. Waiting, waiting for the opportunity for something different. So Jesus is the opportunity. He comes, he calls him because it's a dawn, a new day for Levi. And so he follows him. He, and in many respects, I like to picture that he jumps up at the opportunity. It says that he got up and followed him. But I think he didn't even take a second glance at that toll booth. I think he saw a good riddance to the toll booth. I'm out of here. When we drove into the United States, uh, my wife and I, a few years back, back in New York State, they still had those many toll sections. And you know, every time you get to the toll booth, you're thinking nervously, oh man, I hope I have uh, you know, a couple American dollars. And you're frantically looking through, Megan, do you have it? No, I don't. What are we going to do? What if there's no one at the thing? What are they going to do? Well, we're going to have to pay a big fee because they're going to take a picture of our license plate. And... But when you get there, you could see... I would say a majority of the faces of people working the job, it wasn't their go-to job. It was not something they were wake up in the morning going, yes, I can't wait to get to my toll booth today. Now, there, granted, there might be some that really love that job. 
But in, Ma- I mean, in uh, Levi's case, I don't think this was his dream position. So when Jesus said, follow me, he jumped at the opportunity. I couldn't help but think, what would you have done? What would I have done? You know, we have responsibilities. We have obligations. If Jesus was to come here today, whatever job you're in, he came to you and said, you know, follow me, Simon. Would Jesus say, yeah, absolutely. I, it's in my rear view. Now you might be thinking, well, this job was a job he could do that. You know, there wasn't much responsibility. And yet the government official, the brothers probably didn't see it that way. They saw this as very important because it was a source of revenue to develop that brother's kingdom. Loss of revenue, loss of infrastructure. What would you have done? If I was in Levi's shoes, would I jump at the opportunity to follow Jesus, to see him in the flesh and blood? This is the opportunity that Levi was taking a hold of. And I think there's a good segue here. We all can then remember what it was like when we gave our life to Jesus. Probably remember the moment in time that you said yes to him. What was that like? What was that location like? The time and season in your life. I remember, I'm very thankful, at the age of five, I, I gave my life to the Lord. My mom led me, actually, to Jesus, and it was beautiful. I remember that, like, clear as day. I remember where I was, just sitting on the bed before, you know, putting my head down to go sleep at night. You remember, you remember that moment. Levi wouldn't forget this moment to the point where we see that by Jesus inviting him, he then led him on this road of transformation and discovery to eventually become one of the writers of the gospel. Matthew. How many of you have read through the book of Matthew? There's a lot in there. In fact, they believe that Matthew is one of the older gospels. Now, there's some out there would say Mark Mark is the, the oldest one. Whatever side of the fence you're on, nonetheless, Matthew, if he wasn't called by Jesus, there would have been a different writer. But it was Levi. It was Matthew, the tax collector. And so point number one, a kind of like a takeaway point is this. It's time to let the light shine. It's time to let the light shine by getting out of the house. Here, Jesus, he's not just chilling and hanging out in one person's home. He's going from town to town, temple to temple. He's mingling with the people. He's going even to the less desirable places. Remember, Galilee was the less desirable place in the eyes of the Jews. Places where people are like, no, I'd rather leave them on the, you know, the peripheral. But he went into these places, the highways and the byways, In many respects, Jesus is calling us to say, you know, Lord, how could you work in my life, in the place where I go to work, the the people I come in contact with? Right at the beginning in chapter 17 of of verse 5, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I couldn't help, like like many of you, I, I had to ask the Lord for forgiveness. Lord, you know, I repent for the many opportunities I have missed. There's been times I can think, even in my young life, and I'm still a young guy, but there's times where I just, I blew it. And I'm okay to say I just blew it. You know, maybe that day, there's a few times where I was just honestly just tired. And I didn't feel like getting into the conversation. But I knew, I knew that I knew that I was led to that time and place for a conversation. 
Are we willing to get out of the house and let his light shine? A few weeks ago, it may have even been a month ago now, I went to Canadian Tire. I went to Canadian Tire to get some keys cut. And I have to admit, that day I didn't want to go. There's a lot of different things that I was working on. Um, we had different things with the church and different pieces, administrative aspects. We were working on our, you know, our uh, governing documents and trying to get all this you know, bureaucracy stuff done. And uh, I wanted to spend time in the Word and do a few house calls and those kind of things. But I needed to get these keys cut. I've been putting it off. And so finally, you know, I left my house. You know, begrudgingly, I got in my car. But as I started going, I started to cheer up a little bit. This is cool. I'm going to Canadian Tire, you know, the empire of Canadian Tire. And I get into <laughs> Canadian Tire. And there's a bit of a line. So I'm waiting my turn. And finally, a lady says, can I help you? And I tell her why I'm there. And, and it started off, to be honest and frank, I said, listen, um, I don't want to have to come back and get these recut. Could you just make sure that, take your time, find the right key that works, okay? I've been through this before. And I'm glad that she did that. She took her time. Because there to the left of me, and I'm not going to use people's real names because I don't have permission to, to talk about them specifically, but there was a couple there. So I'm staying at the counter, kind of just looking like this, looking over and then, you know, looking away. Because you know when you make eye contact with people, especially in a post-COVID world, some get a little nervous. Okay, now I'm the kind of person, like, I'll look and talk to anybody. But sometimes if I can even look someone's way, they're kind of like... I'm a little bit more of an extrovert, okay? So anyway, so I'm standing there, and then I just get this impression upon my heart, like I know the person I'm looking at. But I've never met this person before in my life. But then, ah, remember, as, as you, I pray, Lord, would you use me where I go? Would you speak through me? Would you put people's names and faces on my heart? And this is something I've prayed for many years. It's not something that happened overnight. So sure enough, I'm standing there, and the lady's name is put right on the tip of my tongue. And so I kind of, in many respects, kind of like Jesus, not saying I'm Jesus, just kind of like Jesus stepping out and calling her name. Wow, how'd you know my name? So I started talking with her and start sharing, you know, who I am and what I do for a living. And it leads into this wonderful conversation about faith and the church and hearing about their life story. And as I'm talking with her, she says, I want to I know Jesus and lead her, to, lead her to a relationship with Jesus right in Canadian Tower. So these keys are getting cut, and I'm thinking, I can't think of the, you know, the, the, just looking at this uh, symbolism, this imagery, like, wow, the keys, I gave you the keys to the kingdom, you know, what you loose in heaven will be loosed on earth and so on, and here this lady's eyes are being opened to the things of God, and as I'm being, you know, um, obedient to step out, it's something very uncomfortable, because you've got to remember, we're in, I'm joking around, the, the emperor, the empire of Canadian Tire, people are there shopping, people are watching, people are watching. I can't stress, people are watching. And so as we're talking, I kind of look around, and there's a few eyes. Well, the husband starts talking and, and gets involved in the conversation too. Whoa. And starts to get involved in, in praying a prayer. And I shared this with our, our men's group some time back, and that really deeply moved me, encouraged me, but also challenged me when you're begrudging at going out into the marketplace, 
God's not going to force his will on you, force you to, to move and interact with people and minister to them. But when you open yourself up to be used by him, he's going to use you. We believe he still is moving and active in our life. And I, I, again, I stress, it's very uncomfortable. So like the man in the toll booth, Jesus called out to him, Levi, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And I very simply said to her in our conversation, would you like to know Jesus as your you know, personal friend? As your Lord and Savior? Yes. Nothing special, nothing dressed up about it, okay? Because the Holy Spirit was working in her heart. Remember, there's this partnership, there's this cooperation. And so talk with her, she prays a prayer, and I'm not saying you have to pray a specific prayer, but we did pray a prayer. So did the husband, and then other people are watching. I'm handing out cards after that. People are like, where are you from? And, hey, you know, pastor at this local new church in Waterford. Whoa, and the lady cutting these keys, okay? Because there was a guy and her, her, uh, her manager, he's kind of there too, and he's like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Just watching all this. And it was, it was something, it was something. And so point number two is this, if I'm making any sense. Make yourself available. Make yourself available. It's very simple. You don't have to dress up. Just say, Lord, here I am. There's a worship song like that. Uh, I'm here, you call. I am available. I'm here, you call. I am available. And that's all it took is being available. Jesus modeled for us here in this story. He was available. He's available. He says, the sick are the ones who need a doctor. I didn't come to call the righteous, but Sinners. So in many ways, he's fulfilling the call. In Luke 19, 10, it says, Jesus was obedient to seek and save the lost. In many respects, people saw Jesus as not just an excellent teacher. In many ways, he was this, this faith healer physician. In many ways, like a doctor, just going around and healing people. And so this is why I think the statement was made. It's not the, the well who need a doctor, the sick do. He's acknowledging that you have to take time to be with the sick. Could you imagine if all our physicians one day decided, I'm no longer going to see any more sick people? <laughs> what would happen, bro? <laughs> I only want to see those who are well. We have to be available. We have to be willing to take those appointments, to do house visits, to bridge that gap. And so when I was in Canadian Tire, it felt like a great divide in the very beginning of that conversation. It felt like a massive chasm between us, just swirling emotion, uncomfortability. Man, I'm really putting myself out here. But as I took that step, really naturally, it felt more like little baby steps, you know. But as I spoke that name off the tip of my tongue, Naturally, peace just came over me, strength, boldness. It all began to flow. Like that river, that promise of Christ, out of you will flow rivers of living water, bubbling up to eternal life. A lot like this story, it just took a simple call out. Do you want to know him? And so like Jesus calls a Levi, follow me. And he got up and followed him. His life took him on this, this journey of transformation. It wasn't that Jesus was going around just trying to call sinners and saying, hey, guess what? The kingdom's for you too. No matter what you're doing, it's okay. Just come and be part of the party. Sometimes we misunderstand what Jesus was doing and who he was calling. So look at verse 15. It says, while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. 
When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And so Jesus gives them the answer, gives them the reason. He's assuredly not saying to them, hey, the kingdom is just going to be full of people, of tax collectors and sinners, and there's going to be no road that leads to repentance, no road that leads to transformation. That's the way it is. This is just the beginning. You have to be willing to mingle. So point number three is this. Know your motivations. Know your motivations. Whose kingdom are you building? As I was going through this passage, this story, that's one of the things that kept going through my mind. What kind of house are you building? What's the motivation of the house that you want to build? Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a tremendous promise. Those who we think are out of luck, those who we think maybe are unworthy of any kind of intervention, that in Jesus, anything is possible. Many of us know the interaction Jesus had with his followers much later after this story with a rich man. They thought, Lord, if a rich man isn't willing to enter into the kingdom, what hope is there for us? And he says, look, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That person that you think is a lost cause, when the light gets into the mix, when the dawn of the new day comes over the horizon, anything is possible. Now, some may say, just like people would have thought Levi was crazy working in a toll booth, for you as you step out and go into places that might even feel uncomfortable, some may say, you're out of your mind. <laughs> you're crazy for going and, you know, associating with people like that. This is the same thing that's happened to Jesus. Why are you associating with tax collectors? But he had a mission. Now, you might sit here today and be like, well, that was Jesus. You know, he's, he's all loving. He's full of grace. You know, that's what Jesus does. But he's calling us to be like him, to go into places, to go into the world, and to make disciples. Sometimes to engage in that ministry, it's the uncomfortable things that matter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13, we're told this. For if we're out of, for if we're out of our mind, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective. Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is this, Christ, in him, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. 
I share that because this is, this is kind of the balancing act, if you will. When we're going out into places, when we're going into areas that, where people do not desire to go into the, the nitty-gritty, into the, even places of darkness, that we can forget that just as Christ called us, changed our life, is also calling us to tell others about that same life-giving relationship. What I deeply appreciate about what we have in Jesus, you can go into those places. You can go into places where darkness is prevalent, but you can come and bring light because you know who you serve and you know who dwells within you. Just as the scripture tells us, greater is he who is, that is in me than he that is in the world. And this is something that I'm gravitating to even more so in my life, especially a person, a, a you know, minister of the gospel, is when you go into a place, a public space that is definitely further away from the truths of the Lord than they are close, especially in the marketplace, you're going to be challenged. You're going to be stretched. You're going to be pulled in different directions. But when we realize the claim of Christ, when he says that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, now go into the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I've taught you. You can rest assured he's going to give you what you need. He's going to protect, protect you so that you will not uh, succumb to the call of the enemy. As the worship team comes, I'm going to share um, a quote by a gentleman by the name of J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer is this uh, renowned theological professor. Um, I believe he's departed this earth by this time. Um, but he wrote this best-selling book called Knowing God. And when I first went to Bible school, I read this book. And I am, I got to admit, I am the type of person who says, if I had the choice choosing between what books I'm going to read, I'm most assuredly going to read the Bible over any book. Time is short, and I have a stack, you know, a library, just like many of you. People gift me books, but I prefer to read the Word of God. And yet in this book, he writes this, For Jesus' name carries Jesus' claim. As we are baptized with Christ, following him, the claim is being accepted. Jesus' name carries Jesus' claim. When we follow him, the claim is being accepted. Remember, at the name of Jesus, prisoners are freed, blind eyes are open, deaf ears are opened, infirmities are healed. People are brought into a place of spiritual health and renewal. It's not just health from physical ailments, although that's included. Here we see in the story of Levi, as Jesus called him and said, follow me, he led him on this way of transformation. As we accept Christ and we believe the claim that Jesus is who he says he is, that we follow him, that we've been baptized into his name, he's going to empower us by his Holy Spirit to be his shining lights. But we can't do that from our living room. Now, yeah, we can use technology. We can go out on the highways and byways virtually, and, that, and that's awesome, and that, that's, that works. It's effective. 
but you need to be willing to put yourself out there, whatever those spheres may be. Maybe it's a virtual space. Maybe it's in a coffee shop. Maybe it's, um, you know, you're in the bookstore and you're getting a new book and you happen to see a person who's standing beside you and you might feel like you know them, that you know them. It could very well be the Holy Spirit putting upon your heart a word of knowledge about that very person. There was one time that I was doing a house visit. Isaiah was with me. And we walked in in the rain. You know this story. And we're having a good conversation, and it just kind of dawned on me. I said to this gentleman, I said, uh, did you happen to work at the uh, grain elevators here in Norfolk, whatever that company was called at the time? And I knew at that time exactly what the company was. He's like, yeah, a number of years ago I did. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I've never met you before in my life. And yet just in that moment, it just came upon me, just like that. Very similar to how Jesus spoke when he was calling his disciples and Nathaniel was under the one tree. And he said, I saw you, Nathaniel, under that tree. God's going to give us words to speak to people. Don't be afraid to let your light shine. Don't be afraid to make yourself available because as you follow him and your house is entrenched in following after Jesus, your family will not only be blessed, but you're going to bless those that are around you. You're going to encounter the reality of heaven here and now. It's not something we're just waiting for one day to enjoy and partake in, but here and now. Jesus wants to move in your life here and now. He wants to transform you. He wants to mold you. He wants to use you here and now. Would you welcome that invitation today? Many of you are already being used by the Lord in many uh, spheres of influence, but I believe just as the word says that we're continually filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a good exercise for us to continue to open ourselves up to the Lord and say, Lord, how would you use me today? Use me this week. Lead me in ways that I can share your word. I can share your truth to be a beacon of light in my community. And so as the worship team plays, just want to take this opportunity just for a few moments to open ourselves up to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And just say to him, you know, Holy Spirit, lead me into the places that you would have me go. Give me the words to speak. And he's going to do that. He's going to do that. And so these moments as the worship team plays, we're just going to take a few moments just to make that declaration in this time of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, as we trust in you, as we put our faith in you. Yeah, you move mountains for us. But Lord, you also move us into places minister to others that their mountains also would be moved. Most importantly, God, they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, stir us that we would never become comfortable or complacent, but rather we would be encouraged in boldness and passion and joy to share your word, to share your truth. 
Lord, even when it's uncomfortable and the enemy wants to sneak in and seed words of doubt, Holy Spirit, would you remove those thoughts and in return, fill each person here with faith. Fill each person here with the words, Lord, that will draw people to you by the power of your Holy Spirit. We make no mistakes about it, God, that we know that all people are drawn to you by your Spirit. Move in us, God. Have your way in our life. Have your way in my life. May people become so comfortable around us, Lord, that they will bring, as many brought before you, they will bring those who are struggling. They will bring those who are sick. They'll bring those who need prayer, those who need breakthrough, who need a touch from you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that today is a new day. Every moment that we wake up, it's a dawn of a new beginning. New benchmarks, new opportunities. We proclaim this and ask all this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.